Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Drilled to center field and deep. Back on it is Eaton. To the track. To the wall. It's gone! Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center. And he gives the Rays a 6-4 lead here in the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning. Welcome to our latest show. This week, you're going to hear from Steven Sousa Jr. in our feature segment. We'll also sit down with principal owner Stuart Sternberg. Former A's farmhead Joey Rickard will discuss his first games at Tropicana Field as an Oriole. We'll check in on A Montgomery with manager Brady Williams. Plus, look ahead to this week with L.A. Times writer Bill Shaken. We continue on this week in race baseball, and our future guest this week is one Stephen Souza Jr. Stephen, welcome to our show. You know, a lot of fans have told me in the first few weeks one thing that really impresses them is the way you've improved this season, but maybe beyond that, the way you handled yourself in a very difficult and challenging moment with a foul ball uh, on the last homestand. Can you kind of walk us through, A, what it means to hear people say that, the way you carried yourself there, and what that whole moment was like? Yeah, it was definitely uh, tragic, not anything that you want to see anyone go through. Um, Just when it kind of happened, I knew I had no control and I had to finish the at-bat, but my heart was with her the whole time. And uh, once the inning was over and uh, I punched out, I didn't really do it for anybody's approval or or to get notification. I just, uh, I've been uh, taught to love God and love others. And so at that moment, the only thing I could really do was just go see if she was okay um, and let her know that. Um, I was sorry, even though I didn't have a whole lot of control. I just wanted to let her know that um, in a baseball game that may seem important to a lot of people, that this right here is much more important, and I hope she was okay. And I think what stood out in the continuing comment or here, or what seems to be most pervasive, is that genuineness is what stuck out. And what does it mean when you hear people talk about someone's genuine, genuine kindness? Yeah, it, it's great. It means that um, I feel like I'm living the way that I want to, which is... Uh, Obviously, just trying to follow the Word of God and um, be kind to other people. And so when when you hear encouragement like that, um, that you're going along that path, it's just kind of reassurance that um, you're you're doing the right things. And it's not certainly something that you haven't done along the way. I mean, this past offseason, you and your wife were part of a group that did a mission to the Philippines. What was most eye-opening 
about that experience to you and and how many other missions have you been on um i've been on two other ones um one to thailand but this one was a uh, way different there was a lot more poverty that we saw um but the people were so kind and it was just unbelievable how much they cared for each other with little that they had and maybe uh, there was a great uh hurricane there a few years back in manila and uh really wiped out a lot of the people and so they had to move out into uh really bad areas where there's not a whole lot going on out there but even in those desolate villages the community that they have within each other and the trust um was pretty inspiring and to bring a little bit of hope to show that hey we do care about you as people um and there's hope for you in the future um was really amazing where else do you want to go visit I want to go to Africa. I want to go to Johannesburg and uh Nairobi. Those are some of the places my wife and I definitely want to go to. We want to go back to the Philippines. We were really touched by the ministry over there. But um just trying to go throughout the world and tell the people about the gospel and is really a passion of mine. But you're also doing some very good things here in the Tampa Bay community with the Rays. You did Big Brothers Big Sisters, the bowling event this year. How much fun was that for you to interact with kids and be part of that? Yeah, it was really cool. It's such a, a unique um company that kind of uh helps younger kids like that that haven't been given a good opportunity or whatnot or to to be good role models for kids that don't necessarily have them and i think that's really important in today's culture and in our world because we don't really have a whole lot of good examples as we look on tv sometimes there are some great examples but we see a lot of the bad ones and so for normal people to step out and help these kids and point them in the right direction to me it's second to none What are some of the other things that you want to do because I've seen you go out on other events too with Chris Archer who obviously is a great example for kids in terms of doing right things in the community too. I have a heart for um the people who are down and out and broken. So any any time that uh I stop and see someone or just the sick and the weary encouraging them and giving them hope and 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 uh just being there beside them it, I think is a, is a big thing of mine and Um it's the way I was raised it's the way I've learned how to walk on the earth and it's the way I want to show uh people how I was basically given to me. Steven Sousa Jr with us on this week in race baseball and Steven one thing that I think is important to note is that you've had some ups and downs too in your life as well. How much of that message do you tell the kids to let them know that no matter how down things may be you have the ability individually to turn it around? Yeah, I think uh those trials definitely made me who I am today. Um one of the biggest um things that was obviously uh a catalyst to my uh confidence and who I was was just giving up my myself and trying to scratch and claw to become what the world wants you to be which is um you know more cars more money have all the possessions instead of just uh being passionate about who I am and and who God made me um trying to give kids that encouragement to you know you're uniquely made and so be yourself be free and enjoy and whatever you do be passionate about it and it'll be great a lot of things can happen within a year's time i look at you and you seem much more comfortable in your own skin here is that fair yeah i i think uh i i would say i've learned from what happened last year and last year was tough there was a lot of trials last year with strikeouts and struggling and getting hurt um and to me and you know being married there's just a lot of new things in my life and so um after going all th- through those things i really feel like the lord's brought me to a place where i'm here last year was tough um what's the worst that can happen just go out and play and have fun and so that's what i've kind of just come to the park and 
uh, work hard, and then whatever happens in the game, happens in the game. And it's really been fun to hang out with the guys and know the coaching staff for one more year and uh, just be myself around here. You mentioned being yourself. What did you learn about yourself last year? And that, that's helped you obviously get off to a very good start. Um, I just learned that I can uh, I can't carry anything. I can't carry this team. Um, I can't carry uh, a ball club to win a World Series, and I can't carry the burdens of everybody. And so that doesn't mean that I don't care about everybody, um, but I, I just myself cannot carry them. And so going to the Lord and really trusting him with those things and then allowing myself to go play, um, that's been key in my uh, success this year. Who is who is really helpful in helping you learn that? Obviously, you learn the most valuable lessons, but who on this team, maybe in baseball, has really been helpful in getting you to that point? Yeah, in baseball in particular, um, there's two people that have been instrumental in my life. And last year was David DeJesus um, over here just encouraging me and showing me how to day-to-day, how to work hard. Um, and as far as one of my biggest mentors has been Ian Desmond. Uh, just He's just a prime example of how to walk um, his faith out and how to be a leader, how to be a role model, how to play the right way, um, and just how to be a, a great teammate and everything like that. And so I try and emulate uh, my game after him a lot, and uh, he's not a bad one to emulate. How about the current group of the guys on this team right now? Who are you closest with and who's also been a pretty good mentor and helps you come along? Yeah, so um, on this team, Chris is probably um, one of my closest friends. I know Whitley and I are getting close and, and Cobb. Um, and those guys are really great um, and just staying focused on the day-to-day grind. Um, it, this is such a long season that you can get caught up on the end of the year or um, tomorrow. And just being here and talking about the present and being focused on the process, those three guys are really good at it, and I enjoy being around them. Let me look at a moment in the past, and it wasn't really far in the past, but your birthday and the two home runs. Does that qualify as your best birthday on a baseball <laughs> field? I would say so. It's the only one that I can remember that uh, is memorable. So um, the only thing that would have been better is if my wife was there. Um, but, yeah, it was pretty amazing. In terms of other moments in your baseball life, everyone talks about the catch, but now where do some of the moments you've had already this year? A couple multi-home run games, and, and you've contributed to some pretty good wins in the early part of the season. Yeah, I think that'll go down as one of the greatest things ever in my career. Um, but these these this early part in the year, these couple games have been great offensively, especially um, to help win the games. I think that's been the biggest part. Is they, they haven't been just good games, but it's helped us win, and that's most important to me. Is It doesn't matter if I go 4-for-4 four four with four homers and we lose 8-4, to four, um, but the fact that we win with it, that it doesn't get much better than that. What kind of ball player do you want to become? You want to obviously stay in the present moment, but where do you think you've grown from last year on the field, and where do you want to continue to grow? Yeah, I, I want to be a guy that plays hard every single pitch. Um, in 10 years down the road, 15 years, I want to look back and say that I left nothing uh, behind and that I gave it everything I had, whether it be in the weight room, in the cage, on the field, and no one can say, man, if you'd have just done this, or if I can say, man, if I would have just done this, um, I could have played another year or I could have had this much better. Um, that's where I want to be. And at the, end of, at the end of the day and at the end of my career, if I can get to that point, I think I'll be exactly where I want to be. Obviously, at the end of the season, you want to be playing in, in the playoffs. How much better is the group lineup-wise with some of the additions? And how much does that also help? I mean, not only a year in uh, and the comfort level of having been around here a year, but the additions kind of take some pressure off too, having Corey Dickerson, having some of the other guys who've been added like Steve Pierce. Yeah, Corey's been tremendous this year, um, really adding some thumb to our lineup. And Steve 
um, coming in and filling in has been terrific. But really, uh, what's really kind of gone, un gone unnoticed this year is how good Logan Forsythe's been in the one hole. And it's just been amazing to me um, how good he's transitioned to that because that's not an easy role to transition into. And so with the guys you know, that have gotten off the slow starts, they're going to only get, get better from here. But really, our, uh, our stake in the ground is Logan in that one hole, and it's, uh, it's going to continue to let us roll. Does the way he carries himself and the way he grinds out and prepares every day, does it filter down? Yeah, um, and I didn't mention him and when you asked about uh, leaders, but he's probably my uh, the guy that I watch the most uh, go about his business and, and talk to him and pick him apart offensively. Um, he just does everything the right way, the way you should, and uh, he's a role model for this team, really. I don't want to move too far ahead, but the next road trip you do go back to Seattle, which is where you're from. How different is it going to be, let's say, this year versus last year when it was the first time and it was also first year, new organization, a lot on your plate? Yeah, I think uh, first it's a, we have three day games that are three weekday games there, so that's great. Um, hopefully people are some people are still in work and it won't be as crazy. No, but I think that uh, last year it, it, everybody was just excited for me to be there, and I was excited to go there and see everyone. Um, but kind of the second time coming back, it's still going to be just as fun for me. But there's a little more focus factor in the sense that I've been in the big leagues now for two years. Um, we're going for a World Series. I've got business to take care of. And uh, I think I got a little distracted with that last year. And so it's going to be great to see my family. But they're a really good team up there, and we're going to really have to focus and, and, and hone in on them. Exactly. And they've also been a much better team than they were ago, as I think this year's group is. Mm -hmm. For this year's team to make the postseason and do the things you want to do, what do you think where do you think this team can grow the most yeah i think uh the small things like moving up on balls in the dirt and uh taking the extra base those things getting a little more uh consistent offensively i think that's going to come um and our pitching's only going to get better and better and as we get guys back like Cobb and box and um but i think uh defensively and on the base pass, if we can really become one of the best teams in the AL East um, in that aspect, I think the rest of it's going to play out in a really good uh, retrospect. It was early in the year that you were able, or earlier in the week, they were able to make a big play on the bases and score the first run in a 2 nothing win over Baltimore. And you also had, I think, some pretty good defensive plays in right field. Maybe not in that game, but there was one in Boston, I remember, the 12-8 game, where Jake Odorizzi was having a tough time getting through that first, and you got him a, a big out on a ball hit by David Ortiz. How much have you grown in those little things, running the bases, your defensive game? Yeah, it, um, when, I was with, uh, when I was coming up, that, those were the two things that I was not very good at. Uh, was defense and base running and so I had uh, two guys that really one guy in particular has really helped um, kind of jump start it when I was in the minor leagues uh, in Tony Tarasco but once I got here Rocco's really taken me to a level of um, letting my athleticism take those things that I learned from him and play in the game and uh, just trying to be a little more aggressive and, and let him flow I think there was sometimes in the past where I got a little too, too much mechanical but Rocco's a, he was an athlete when he played so we relate really well and he's allowed me to to just be myself as an athlete out there and use it. And obviously it's certainly paying off. This is a game where there is a lot to the mental side of it. What do you do to try and, I guess, obviously your faith is very important, but beyond that also, what do you use to try and relax your mind when you're away from the ballpark so you're not 24-7 focused on the, the game itself, which would obviously be very tough? Yeah, I think uh, hanging out and actually focusing on being with my wife is really important um, and not thinking about the game or talking about the game and just pouring into her interest and seeing what she's actually got going on in her life. 
that's been instrumental to me getting away from the park and being a husband and focusing on on those uh aspects and and talking to my family and and getting away and not talking about the game and and just actually talking about life um and i do play little video games every now and then nobody really knows that i don't really tell anyone that but i like to get away and kind of zone out for a little bit and play some halo um and i have fun with that but yeah just trying to actually once i leave the door i'm just a normal person and then move on and once i step back in it's time to focus and win so far so good keep it up thanks for a few minutes yeah thanks for having me neil that's Steven Souza Jr. joining us in this week in Rays Baseball. We continue after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to this week in Rays Baseball. Neil Solon's with you at the Rays Radio Studio across from Gate 1. This week, Rays principal owner Stuart Sternberg was at the ballpark, and I asked him what he was doing in Tampa Bay besides watching the baseball. Uh, well, this week we were fortunate enough to have the opportunity to speak before the St. Pete Chamber of Commerce and there were business leaders and uh, elected officials from both sides of the of the bay, which was outstanding. We had some Hillsborough people as well, full room, sold out uh, sold out rooms. So I think we had a, an SRO crowd, um, and we had we fortunately got to get our message out to explain to everybody and reiterate how important the businesses are to to having baseball thrive here. And you want to get their input too. You're seeking their involvement in a survey that people can go to right now, in fact, at raisebaseball.com slash business input. Exactly. Uh, it's something starting online, and we're also going to do things physically with them and phone calls. Um, we, we have partners here who are uh, supporters of, of the team on the business side of it, and we are always asking them what we can do better, what we can do that, uh, to help them as partners with us. And now we're trying to also find out in depth how important it is for them to have baseball here. Uh, those who are not currently partners with the Rays are uh, financial supporters, so to speak, uh, advertise or have seats with us or suites or signs, whatever it happens to be, and see what it is that's holding them back, what it is we can do differently, what it is that they're looking for so we can tailor something for them. And that said, it's a fairly um, quick moving five-question survey to basically get their input. Very basic, yeah. It, it should be able they can get, get said what they need said uh, in a hurry. And, look, we expect to hear back from a number of them that uh, baseball is you know, not important to them and doesn't really matter, just like there's certain things for everybody. That's why they have vanilla ice cream and pistachio ice cream and chocolate ice cream and strawberry ice cream and all those other flavors. So there are some we all don't like. But if it is and it has some meaning for, uh, for their business, for their livelihood, for their employees, for their home life, for just their overall feeling about Tampa Bay and the region, and as we believe it's a great region, it has a lot of growth uh, if baseball has got some uh, some catalyst behind that and is helpful to have here in the midst, a major league baseball team, we'd like to know how important and what it is that they we can do for them. And I know the commissioner obviously feels very strongly about the Tampa Bay market, and one of the things he's trying to do for the game itself is promote playing ball among kids. You sit on the executive council, so how important do you think this overall initiative is? It's always it's incredibly important because it's always easy. Uh, and uh, it's sort of like eating dessert first and you try to get somebody to love the game on a Thursday night. Come to the game and you'll love the game. It's really about for the growing of the game, you have to take a very uh, medium and very long-term approach. Kids play baseball, whether girls playing softball, boys playing Little League or any organized ball, just throwing a ball with each other. We had a, a, something where just throw the ball, right? We've seen those ads as well if you have. Um, and it leads towards an affinity for the game. We all are not going to be playing uh, baseball, hardball, softball, 
uh, men's or women's, you know, in our 20s and 50s in this case. I still do play softball. Uh, but but what it does is it drives an affinity for the game, and you want to make certain that the kids in their you know when they're very young have been exposed to it, have come out to the ballpark, which is why we have two dollar kids nights and two dollar hot dogs. So you know make sure no real impediments to getting them out to the park, and the play ball uh, initiative and the things we've done here as well are a big part of that. In fact, one of those is a big event here at the ballpark in May to really just encourage the kids to get out and have fun. Just any anything that we do, it's really our mission is towards growing the game here in Tampa Bay and having the kids come out and, you know, what we're doing in May will be exciting. As a father of four, what did you do to get your kids excited about the game and what are your best memories with your kids about the game of baseball? Well, I've, I've got uh, three that stand out, I'd say, right now. When uh, I was uh, First thing, I took my, my oldest son to his first game when he was six months old. It was an April afternoon day. I took the day off of work and I have a picture of him being there. He has obviously no memory of it, but I've got a picture and it's, it's, it sits on my desk and it's really a cherished memory of mine. And all my kids have come to the games over the years, even before I was an owner. Um, and, you know, we went through the ice cream. We had no ice cream until the fourth inning and, you know, the hot dogs or the, the popcorn and Cracker Jacks, whatever they liked. Uh, they all kept score, and we keep score as a family and individually, and I still do that. They come, they've come to my softball games as kids where they would bring the uh, sandwiches or hot dogs, have a little picnic while I play softball. Um, and then having them involved now as they've gotten a little bit older, uh, you know, I, I also managed my, both of my son's Little League teams. So try managing two Little League teams at the same time. Uh, it, was, it was an incredible time. Do you remember many games of catch with, with your kids at, at those young ages when you were managing their little league clubs oh yeah sure it's that's why i encourage everybody to get anything you could do with your kids it's really an excuse to be with your kids and something that's on equal footing where you know once they can catch a ball a bit and throw it a bit it, it, you know how many things can you do with your kids that, that they're going to feel proud of reaching you when you back up from 10 feet to 20 feet or something like that or even if you're very close or so watch them uh, catch the ball because it improves in a hurry right? can i take you far back as your youth and what you remember most about or what excited you the most when you were a kid about the game of baseball that got you hooked? Uh, well, I'll start. It, it was actually, I guess, at the age of seven, uh, but I was hooked well before that. I still remember very, very clearly to this day the first uh, first Little League uniform I had. It was a Kano car. It was an Kano car. And I could still feel like the, the sort of the, the uh, satin front and the letters across it. And I don't think I, I – when we got those uniforms and they gave them out after my dad took me down to sign me up for Little League – how apropos that we have the uh, – it's playing. Um, when my dad took me to sign up for, for Little League and then sometime later, a month later or so, I go and pick up the uniform and I just ran up and put it on and the stirrups and everything. It, it uh, Everything else, obviously, a zillion memories, but that's the earliest. And before that, uh, was was really rooting for Sandy Koufax before he had retired. And I barely knew what I was doing at five or four years old, but I knew that I loved Sandy Koufax. And obviously, still have a great appreciation for him to this day. Give me your thoughts now as we're nearing the one-month mark of this season, this 2016 season, and get to your Rays baseball family on the field. What are the greatest impressions you've taken away from this month? What stood out? Well, uh, first, the, the starting pitching has, has delivered as it should be. Uh, he, you know, uh, Chris's Archer's had some issues to this point, but not because he hasn't thrown the ball well. The, the lack of injuries that we, as opposed to what we've had last year um, is refreshing. Um, the, the, the way a couple of these guys that we've picked up in the offseason can actually really uh, attack a baseball and hit it and hit it far and hit it hard and the ability for the team 
as opposed to last year especially, be able to come back later on in the games and have some firepower to do that. The fielding has been great to see Kiermaier. So the things for the most part that we had uh, believed would, would stand true have. You know, obviously, the guy, a few of the guys have gone through significant slumps here, but we term slumps as opposed to the way they'll, uh, they'll go. And the I think the division itself, nobody fortunately has run away with it. We don't have a 14 and and five team at this point. Not a bad place to be in after this mar- first month. As you said, you can't lose the division or win the division in the first month unless you have one of those teams running away. Nobody has. No, look, every once in a while, every couple few years, you do see a team go wire to wire where they just get off to a start and just take it out, or you're chasing them down like crazy. Uh, and you just, it's not a pleasant way to spend the month of May and June. Last year, we got out a little bit, and we, we had the lead, and you know teams hunted us down and, and took us down. But uh, you, you know, it's not a lot of fun, and we've been through it. You started a season 0 and 7, 0 and 8, you know, 2 and 2 and 11. You, it, it's certainly mathematically uh, reasonable to get through it, but it's just not a way you want to spend the next few months of playing baseball. Great to see you again, and obviously a lot to do here in Tampa Bay. As always, thank you very much. Appreciate it. And that is the race principal owner, Stuart Sternberg. Before we continue, let's pause for station identification. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. This is Tampa Bay Sports Radio. To the wall! Gone! 620 WDAE St. Petersburg and 95.3 FM, home of the Rays. Neil Solon's with you at the Rays Radio Studio across from Gate 1. Earlier in the week, during the Orioles series, when we did our interview with the Rays principal owner, Stuart Sternberg, Joey Rickard made his debut in this park. Rickard, of course, was drafted by the Rays in 2012 and then was a Rule 5 pick of Baltimore this offseason. And I asked Joey when he got here on Monday how strange it was to come to Tropicana Field as a visitor. Uh, definitely. Uh, just coming here today, looking looking at it from this from this dugout, actually, it's it's a bit of a surprise, you know, since... 2012 I always you know imagine myself being on that side but you know I'm here and I'm happy for this opportunity and so far so good. Who uh, are you still close to in the organization obviously not a whole lot of time has passed and who are the guys you were tightest with? Um, man there's there's so many names uh, you know throughout the throughout the four years I was with them so I mean recently you know I went to Richie Schaefer's wedding uh, so I know Luke, uh, Luke Maley uh, Kirk Casale was there. I met Brad Miller for the first time there. Um, Blake Snell is another one. He was my roommate last year. So, I mean, the list can really go on and on. It's uh, a lot of great guys, a lot of, you know, friends I'll have, you know, for the rest of my life over there, and uh, I wish him the best. You trade text with Blake after his first uh, major league appearance over the weekend? Oh, yeah. We, we talked, uh, you know, we talked quite often, actually. We talked before and after, and you know, I'm just I'm happy for him. You know, he's obviously a young talent, but he's just a he's just been a good friend. Like we talk, you know, about everything. You know, we we'll talk for a little while without baseball even being brought up. So he's one of those relationships, and uh, I look forward to you know being a friend of his for a long time. It's gonna be hard to face him at some point. Oh yeah, I mean I've seen him, I've seen him enough, but it's you know we all know his stuff. It's it's electric, so it's gonna be a challenge, no doubt. What has this overall opportunity meant to you uh, in, in your baseball life? Um, it, it's meant the world to me. I mean, you always pictured yourself, you know, being a major leaguer, but just to have it actually happen, you know, it, it's happened really fast for me. You know, just the last couple months, it's, I'm just trying to take it in right now. It's, it's been a unique opportunity. I'm just trying to, you know, follow the veteran guys here and uh, learn the ways. And uh, so far, you know, I'm happy about it. Of the veterans, who's been the most helpful? Who's taken you under the wing the most? 
I mean, there's there's a lot of them. You know, the guys, just look at the lineup. There's guys that have been around for a while, and it's, uh, you know, I'm an outfielder, so, you know, I, I'm watching. I, I study Jones a lot, and, you know, but all of them, O'Day, you know, Weeders, Chris Davis, they're, they, just, they just know the game, and I want to kind of take a little something from all of them. You soared through the system last year on the race side, going from high A to double A to triple A. What's the biggest difference that you've noticed at this level in this small sample size? Um, just the, uh, let's see, I mean, the, the talent's, you know, one thing, but just the consistency of, of the talent so far, you know. Sometimes in the minors you'll get, you know, a guy brought up that's it's fairly new, but here, you know, you're never, you're always looking for uh, that one guy to get get your hits off, and it just, he just never seems to come. Everybody here, you know, has electric stuff, and uh, so just pretty much the overall consistency of, of the talent here. How about the routine? Because uh, the on, obviously you had a routine at the minor league level that I'm sure you were accustomed to. Is there much different with the on and off field routine? And if some of the veterans helped you in that regard too? Um, it's pretty, it's pretty individualized. Everybody at this level, you know, knows what they need to do to get ready for, for the game. So, I mean, I'll, t- I'll take little bits here and there, but I like to keep it simple. So there's not, not a whole lot's changed. I think the biggest thing that's probably most impressive about what you've done to this point is that you've been given the trust by Buck Walter to hit leadoff in this lineup. What has it meant to you to do that, and what is a good leadoff hitter? Um, well, yeah, it obviously means you know he trusts me a lot. Just uh, I'm just trying to you know learn know myself and uh, knowing what I got to do to to be successful with this lineup, and uh, that's get on base. You know, I I know my role and I know the guys behind me or or you know they can mash. So I'm just trying to see pitches for them and and get on base. Is that always been kind of your strength? I know you put up tremendous numbers last year. Um, yeah, I think last year, you know, I, I walked a lot. I saw a lot of pitches, you know, even if I didn't get on base, guys, you know, saw what was working that day, and that's that's a leadoff hitter. You know, I'm usually really patient till I see, you know, at least, you know, a breaking ball and something else more than his fastball. When you were growing up in Nevada, I think you were probably between seven and nine years old when Buck Showalter managed the Arizona Diamondbacks not too far away. Did you ever follow Arizona at all? And if not, what has it been like in this short period getting to know Buck? Um, well, I didn't actually. My my family's you know from Northern California. They were they were fans from up there, but uh, just getting to know Buck. I mean, I obviously knew who he was before this. It's he's no secret. So I'm um, just getting to learn. You know his his style and his ways, and you know how how much he knows. So I know you know when he has something to say, I'm I'm all ears. This club in this series is in first place in the American League East so far what has been the most impressive thing about the group um just the uh how deep we are every day every win it seems you know somebody else is uh you know being the hero whether that's you know a big hit or a, a big shutdown inning or a starter you know shutting their lineup down it's it's just every it's a surprise every day and that's just you know that's just something good to hear from or, or to see from this team and that's Joey Rickard, whose homer on Wednesday helped the Orioles salvage a game against Tampa Bay. Now, coming up on this week in Rays baseball, we'll look at the AA Montgomery Biscuits with their manager, Brady Williams. Plus, we'll look at Andrew Friedman's return to Tropicana Field with Bill Shakin, national baseball writer for the L.A. Times. We'll do that and more right after this on the Rays Baseball Network. 
Welcome back. Neil Solon's with you on This Week in Rays Baseball at the Rays Radio Studio across from Gate 1. Rays taking on the Blue Jays, wrapping up a series today. Right now, let's take a look at the Rays minor league affiliates, and we'll go to Double A Montgomery, where the Biscuits have the best record of any Rays affiliate, currently 13-9. and Their manager is Brady Williams. Brady, thanks for joining us today. Neil, how you doing? Good to be on. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Uh, first month of the season for you, what is kind of your overall uh, look at this group so far? Uh, young, talented, um, and a lot of fun so far. So, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's early, it's early, but a lot of good things out of the group. Um, and it's been fun for the first month. Let's get into some of those young talents. I mean, you have two 20-year-olds who are playing important positions, starting with the shortstop who the Rays got in the David Price deal and Willie Adamas. I know Michael Johns raved about him last year in high Charlotte. What's your early impressions of Willie? Uh, he's lived up to the hype. I mean, he's um, been uh, a solid uh, a leader for the team. You know, I know he's 20, but he brings energy every day. Uh, wasn't really expecting him to be, you know, the power source that he has uh, early on. Um, but it, the power numbers are there. He's driving guys in. Um, he's coming up with big hits. He had a, a big pinch hit walk-off homer for us already. Um, and he's played a solid shortstop. So, I mean, it's, it's been fun watching him for a month. Uh, there's still obviously room to grow uh, for him, especially defensively. Uh, just kind of cleaning up some some areas for him to be a more consistent shortstop. But the talent's there, and and the abilities uh, definitely got a chance to, to be an impact big league player. And I mentioned he's one of two 20 year olds on the ball club. The other one we got to know a little bit in the Arizona Fall League, and Jake Bowers, and you had him part of last year. This season, he's playing more outfield in first base, and it's not impacting his offensive numbers. He, like Willie Adamas, already has four homers uh, in the first month. Yeah, no, it's good for him, too, to play out there, you know, to be a little more versatile. I think it uh, opens up, uh, you know, a chance for him to, to make a club, you know, whether it's you know, outfield or first base. Uh, he played a little bit out in the fall league in the outfield. I think, um, you know, playing right right now is probably his best suit, you know, just being you know, a left-handed first base, and I think that look over there is easy for him. Uh, left field is still a work in progress for him, but like you said, it hasn't really affected him offensively because uh, he can really swing it, and he's, uh, he's a tough out for him to have the, the plate discipline and his ability to, to look over a baseball at his age is fun to watch. It very, very rare, as you mentioned. And, you know, also when you have 20-year-olds like he and Willie Adamas, they're going to get a lot of attention. But a guy who is putting up maybe the best numbers on the club is a great story. Jake Hager was once one of the race top prospects. He missed all of last year due to injury, and it looks like he really hasn't skipped the beat. In fact, he looks, at least by the numbers, he's better offensively. Also hit his first homer yesterday. Yeah, I mean, still still a top prospect in my opinion. Now, I've had him for four years and really got to know the kid and, and uh, just a tremendous young man you know to, for what he went through he's been out of baseball for a year he had a couple surgeries um, you know he still had a good season here two years ago in double-a on two two bum knees for you know for the most part um, come back to where he has and he's same guy you know and now he's kind of learning new positions you know he's a shortstop here a couple years ago he's played some short but he's learning third and he's playing some second so um, you know, the versatility is improving, um, and still the makeup and the ability is, is still there, and he's showing it on the field. He's moving around. Another guy who's moving around is a guy who maybe gets underplayed a little bit because of the guys we mentioned, Adamas and Bowers. Kean Wong seems to hit at each level, and he seems to be holding his own at, what, just 21 years of age in, in the Southern League. Yeah, I know. You keep saying, like, these, these ages are, like, 21, 20. I mean, it's just a young group, and, uh, 
a lot of enthusiasm for them, and, it, it, and it's it's they're right on, you know, because Keen Wong is another guy of a lot of ability. Um, he, he understands the game of baseball. Obviously, his brother, you know, being a Colton with uh, the Cardinals, so he understands the game. He knows what it takes to be a, a big league player. He understands what he needs to do, and um, he brings it every day. He's, he's a he's a tough out left-handed. He's learning third base. His arm strength has improved, so uh, it's fun watching him play as well. How about on the other side or the other corner? Casey Gillespie basically skipped high A uh, after missing a good portion of last year after moving up from low A, Bowling Green. He has put up very good numbers, too. He's a college kid, former first-round draft pick of the race. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, the question mark was, you know, could he handle the jump? Can he skip a level and come here and, and uh, compete? And he's done a fine job. You know, the one thing that stands out to me is his walks. Um, I think he's leading our team in walks close to, uh, you know, a walk and a strikeout one-to-one. So uh, he's having good at-bats, and his patience is definitely noticed. Uh, he's not giving away at bats, and when he gets a pitch to hit, he's driving it. Um, and I, I expect him to keep improving. Uh, for him to do that in the first month speaks volumes about him. Uh, and hopefully, he can keep it going through through the rest of the season. Your club is averaging five runs a game over the first month, and one of the older players in the group is really getting his first opportunity to catch on a regular basis at Double A. It's in part because of the Justin O'Connor injury. Mike Marjima, what have you thought of Mike in the first month? Uh, I know the age is what it is. I think he's. League age 27, he's 26 now, and uh, opportunity kind of presents itself at different ages, and he's just getting a chance right now, uh, maybe a little later on in his career, but the talent's there, you know, his, his athletic ability behind the plate uh, stands out, uh, his arm strength is is adequate, if not above average, I think it's just more about him playing, uh, getting playing time back there, and, and, you know, the more reps he gets, the better he's going to be um, offensively. Last year, he had a nice a nice year in, in Charlotte, um, and that's kind of what stands out with him. You know, if he can if he can hit and catch, I mean, you know, it doesn't really matter how old you are. Um, if you can do both of those, you, you can help a lot of big league teams. So then that's kind of the goal with, with him and, and getting him reps back there, and he's doing a fine job. I think when this year started, everyone was raving about the talent level, not only hitting-wise, but also pitching-wise. It looks like some of the starters have had a couple of bumps in the road moving up to the double-A level. Is that fair in the first month? Yeah, I think um, maybe pressure, you know, from for some guys, some other guys, um, you know, you know, getting their feet wet, you know, not really understanding what this level is about. Um, but I think after one month, most of these guys settle in, and you saw it last night with, with uh, Guerrero uh, finally having a really solid outing. Um, you know, he's had a couple bumps in a row, but last night was awesome. I mean, he went five innings and one hit pretty much unhittable uh, for the most of the time, and he made it look pretty easy for five innings. Well, hopefully the other guys, as they move through, will do that too going forward, and we'll be talking a lot about some of the talented double-A prospects with the Montgomery Biscuits. Uh, again, Brady, we appreciate a few minutes. Good first month. Keep it up. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I appreciate it, Neil. One other thing, Dan DeMet wanted me to pass on a hello to you and message you, um, and I and, uh, appreciate you talking with me. Well, tell him thank you, and uh, we'll talk to both of you soon. That's, All right, uh, take care, man. You got it. It's Brady, Brady Williams, manager for the AA Montgomery Biscuits. Again, they've got the best mark among Rays affiliates through this first month of play. Now, as we get started with the second month of play, the Rays are going to welcome to town next week the L.A. Dodgers to wrap up an eight-game homestand. It's the first time back for for Andrew Friedman since he went west to Los Angeles and joining us now to chat about it, a guy who's covered the Dodgers, the Angels, and is the national baseball writer for the Los Angeles Times. Pleasure to have on the program Bill Shaken. Bill, thanks very much for being with us. 
thanks for having me. First of all, uh, uh, today in, in Tampa Bay, Mark Topkin uh, gave some really good perspective on Andrew's uh, time with the Rays here. Give us your take. Much was made about his move west to Los Angeles. Uh, what's been your take on the, I guess, the first 18 month of Andrew kind of taking over on the baseball operations side in Los Angeles? Uh, it's really been an interesting situation because last year, of course, as I'm sure people have heard about 300 million times, the Dodgers had the largest payroll in the <laughs> history of North American sports. And while a lot of it was designed to get bad deals off the books and essentially the Dodgers paid close to $100 million for guys to play for teams that were not named the Dodgers, uh, the whole sum of money created these expectations. And really, when you spend that, that kind of money... Uh, there's no expectation other than getting to the World Series. Uh, the Dodgers have not done that uh, in Friedman's time. Of course, that's you know a little more than a year, but the Dodgers also have not done that since 1988. And the conflict between trying to win in the short term and win for the future is the issue right now in Los Angeles. I would imagine that the you mentioned the expectations. I would imagine the pressure, the media attention, all of that is much different. How has Andrew handled that? Because Tampa Bay is a much different market than Los Angeles. Um, I think he's learning that, you know, whatever moves you make, and they're, as you folks know, always incredibly well thought out and uh, planned and different options are considered, and there's never just, you know, we're going to do this. There's always a plan A and a plan B and a plan C, uh, that they need to be explained, that fans need to understand the process. And I think uh, Andrew and his group are getting to the point where they understand they need to just get the buy-in from the fans because... If you do things that are, to the casual fan, uncertain or maybe uh, hard to understand, uh, that doesn't mean they're not good moves. It just means you have to be able to explain them. And last year, for example, one of his first big moves was trading Matt Kemp, who at the time was coming off maybe as good a second half as any player had had in baseball, a career Dodger, very popular with the fans, for Yasmani Grandal, a catcher from the Padres who would hit 220. And, you know, let alone the fact that the, the Dodgers were paying Matt Kemp to go away, uh, just even up, it didn't sound like a great trade. Once mm -hmm. you understood the explanation and you could convey that to the fans, it made more sense. And I think that's really been the issue here, that there isn't sort of a buy-in maybe that there was in Tampa Bay after a few years when everyone knew that Andrew and his group were going to put a good team on the field year after year. Uh, there wasn't that sort of reservoir of goodwill, and that's what they need to build here. And, and obviously that happens with some time and, and also seeing results from the moves you make. I'm curious, you mentioned trying to explain it to the fans. Sometimes I know that it's difficult for uh, you know, someone on the baseball operations side who's doing a lot of analytics. Yes, they like to explain, but no, they don't also want to share trade secrets, which they're afraid to do at times. How difficult has that challenge been for him? Because obviously you know, information, I know he's used this word a lot when he was with Tampa Bay, is key. It is, and certainly they have more of it now than they do with the Rays. They've started a whole development uh, department, research and development. They've got, I think, seven uh, current or former general managers are in the front office, including Alex Anthopoulos, who led the uh, Blue Jays to such a terrific season last year. But uh, I think there's a line between telling everybody your trade secrets and your proprietary metrics and sort of explaining the philosophy behind the trade. And that's just not an issue for Andrew. That's an issue for every general manager in baseball. And, again, it's something you really can't read out of a book. You've just got to experience it. 
And you mentioned the fact that he's got six or seven now former GMs on the staff. Obviously, in Tampa Bay, he had a much smaller, I guess, inner circle just based on size of staff. How how difficult is it to try and get agreement among the group? And, and who really truly is the inner circle now for Andrew? Well, the one thing you wondered when Andrew came over is he got the title of president of baseball operations. You had Farhan Zaidi come down from Oakland to become the general manager. You had Josh Burns, who had been a general manager in San Diego and before that in Arizona, to come in as what's called Senior Vice President of Baseball Operations. Uh, now I mentioned you have Anthopoulos, uh, Jerry Hunsaker, who you know folks mm-hmm. in Tampa as a consultant here. Um, but it's Andrew's decision, and while there are certainly collaborative processes that go on and everybody likes to talk and uh, exchange ideas, and they certainly have a lot of ideas, uh, there are some markets where you sort of wonder who's making the final call because it used to be there was a general manager and that was it. And now there's, mm-hmm. in many markets, not just L.A., you know, a general manager and a senior vice president of baseball operations and a president of baseball operations and you know, who's making the call. And the one thing I can say is, regardless of titles, Andrew's making the call. And he made the call then on, on the new manager, Dave Roberts. I know that the Dodgers have had a tough week overall with the six consecutive defeats are still tied for the division lead despite having a sub 500 record at 12 and 13 how how is that dynamic work between the two of them and how did it come about do you think that that dave was the guy going forward to be andrew's guy so to speak oh that essentially the dodgers after you know a lot of us thought the kapler was going to be the guy uh ended up going on a, a very detailed search uh they interviewed nine guys as it turned out, the three guys that they invited as finalists for the interviews were guys who had never managed before. Uh, Kapler was one, uh, Dave Roberts was the other, and the third one, interestingly, was Darren Erstad, the former Angels outfielder, mm-hmm. who is a coach at the University of Nebraska. And he got a strong recommendation from Joe Madden, which, as you know, would mm-hmm. go a long way with Andrew Friedman. So it was pretty clear that they were going to bring in somebody who wasn't going to come in with ideas of hey, here's how I did it before, and here's how I want to do it. Uh, It's a very, uh, whether you call it collaborative effort or organization-wide effort, but it is not a matter here of the front office gets the players and then the manager takes care of it from that. They want to work together, and as a result, they wanted somebody who uh, wasn't going to come in and say, no, 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 I've been a manager, I know how to do this. And they got a first-time guy. Roberts is tremendously enthusiastic. He's developed a great relationship with Yasiel Puig, which is a huge factor for the Dodgers. And uh, although, as you mentioned, this week hasn't been so great, uh, everybody seems to, to like the energy this year. Your, your take on uh, Andrew returning to Los Angeles, I know you, you tweeted today about the Friedman Bowl uh, on your Twitter account. Is it much of a deal in Los Angeles, or is it really just more of a deal here because he's returning to the place where he started? Yeah, I think it's more of a deal for the fans in Tampa. Uh, the Dodger fans are concerned mostly about how their team is going to do, as I imagine is the case for the fans of most teams. And, you know, while it'd be a great story if the Dodgers and Rays ever did meet up in the World Series, uh, I think the concern of Dodger fans right now is not, hey, Andrew Friedman's going back home. It's mm-hmm. we're spending how much money for a team that's not even 500? Yes, but one of the bright signs, and we're going to get to see him in person, is Kenta Maeda. You know, you compared him, I think, at a column a little bit to Fernando Mania. Uh, what's your What's your take on Maeda? We'll get to see him up close next week. Um, well, the Dodgers actually changed their rotation last night, so he's going to pitch in Toronto on this trip, ah. not in Tampa. 
Uh, so sorry about that, but um, but it's been a lot of fun. He's uh, an engaging guy. Uh, it's interesting because he was the guy that everybody thought would get some $100 million-plus deal. He was the best pitcher in Japan. He had just won their equivalent of the Cy Young Award, and he looked like he was going to cash in. And then his agent ran him through a physical so they could share the results of the physical with every team, and the physical turned up some arm problems. So nobody's really been specific about what the problems are, but it took his value way down to the point where, and this is more like a typical Andrew Friedman move. Mm -hmm. Would Andrew Friedman spend top dollar on the best pitcher in the market? History says no. Uh, What Friedman would do is find somebody who can get for less than top dollar that might eventually be almost as good as the top dollar guy. So the Dodgers spent $25 million guaranteed for Maeda. If he pitches well and he stays healthy, he'll get his $100 million, but if he doesn't, he won't. Well, well said in terms of knowing Andrew, and we certainly appreciate the perspective. We look forward to these games against the Dodgers this week. All right, we'll see you on Tuesday. Thanks again. That's Bill Shakin, again, national baseball writer for the L.A. Times, joining us on our program, and certainly we appreciate Bill joining us as well as Brady Williams, the Montgomery manager, race principal owner Stuart Sternberg, Steven Souza Jr., race outfielder, and also Baltimore outfielder and former race farmhand Joey Rickard. Special thanks, too, to our producer today on the program. That is Trey Downey. I'll remind you to get in on the action with exclusive on-field seating in the Papa John's bullpen box. You can host your group of 50 to 85 in the private party area and leave long-lasting memories to reserve the Papa John's bullpen box. Call 888-FAN-RAISE or email group sales at racebaseball.com. Limited dates remain. Of course, if you ever have something you'd like to hear on this show, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. Now, next Sunday, it's Mother's Day, so I'll have a special Mother's Day edition of the program, a lot lined up, including right-handed pitcher Erasmo Ramirez. You don't want to miss it. I'm Neil Solons. Ray's getting said for the Toronto Blue Jays, trying to win a series and make it a 3-3 three and three start to this homestand, or excuse me, 4-2 and two start to the homestand. Pre-game show next on the Race Baseball Network. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.